Hello and welcome to Core Truth, the podcast show, where we will discover the core truth that controls our experience of life. I'm your host, Mark Follett, and together with my friend, mentor, and author of the book, The Truth of Love and Fear, Rudy Ecker, we will peel back the outer layers of consciousness in order to understand and realize the nature of our perceptions and the beliefs that control the experience of our lives. We will uncover the true nature of consciousness, what drives our personal actions, behavior, and feelings in life, and what really motivates mankind. So we welcome you to join us on a journey of self-discovery, self-realization, and self-awareness to give you a new insight into who you believe you are. This is Core Truth, where we discuss the philosophy of core belief therapy created by Rudy Eckhart. I'm your show host, Mark Follett, and today we're going to ask Rudy about change. We're going to find out from Rudy his philosophy on what real change is actually all about. So Rudy, do you want to give us a little introduction to this topic and why you're so passionate about this? Well, the main reason I'm passionate about it because change is viewed by people in very different ways, particularly when it comes to personal change. And we have been pushing change, of course, and a lot of people have over the last, particularly over the last 30 odd years, um, trying to create change or pushing change or giving an idea of what change is all about in order to to help people move on in their lives and deal with their emotional issues and life issues. Do you mean like a focus on personal development, personal improvement? Personal development, personal improvement on on uh, through various concepts, philosophies, uh, processes that people have put forward in order to help people to change. And what I was acutely aware of myself is that many of these processes and concepts uh, only I ever had a partial result for me. And that was well before I started to do this work, uh, developed core belief philosophy. Um, so the issue with changes is that we have an embedded perspective of what change is all about. And um, unfortunately, most of humanity has been um, locked into a perception of change, which is actually not effective. And the reasons for that are quite deep. They're quite, um, they're rooted in many things, including even language and um, our idea of what living life is all about. So I want to address this today because it is something that is close to my heart because fundamentally um, our well-being relies on our concept of change and understanding it and therefore then reaching for a different kind of change can be the thing that will save your life, metaphorically speaking. I think what sparked this topic um, was that you and I were having a discussion, and I've learned a lot out of the discussion that we've had actually, um, about there are a lot of things that, as you said, people have invented or have created, especially over the last, I mean, 20 or 30 years, to try and help people to change. But the concern you have with a lot of the things that are created and a lot of the things that, um, that I've been involved with myself is that they don't create <clears throat> permanent change a lot of the modalities a lot of the things that help people to cope with their fears aren't actually promoting change that's that's your main concern your main passion with this is that if people are given coping mechanisms um, then they may not seek change well coping mechanisms which are strategic behaviors as i call them yeah. are behaviors that you can learn to adapt or to adopt is the proper word uh, and use them in your life and the immediate um, benefit they can have can create the illusion that you have changed. And that is the problem. It is a um, premeditated conscious act which will get a result but will never be permanent part of you and will have to be exercised in the same situation under the same circumstances uh, given the same conditions in a conscious, 
aware way in order to get hopefully the same result. But given that you're always dealing with different elements that never any situation is identical to another because of a whole number to, uh, of reasons to do with people personalities with different individuals you're dealing with it is unlikely that even your strategic behavior will always be functional and get the same result if it does get a, a positive result you'll be under the illusion that you have changed because you're judging the outcome uh, for you by the effect it has in the world mm. rather than the effect it has within you. I think, I think to draw some <clears> sort of parallel with something that to, to draw this back, uh, my, my understanding of what you're saying is that if, <clears throat> if you've got some sort of um, physical pain and you go to the doctor and get some painkillers and the painkillers help to remove that pain, then we haven't actually solved the problem or the cause why the pain was there in the first place and you haven't even resolved um, why the pain's there in that moment. All you've done is you've disconnected your body from your, your pain receptors and it's a coping strategy. You wouldn't then say that your back pain had gone. You would just say that you've come up with some sort of coping strategy by taking painkillers. Is that, that's, is that kind of what you're... It, it, it is kind of, yeah, it is like that because... It's about like in, in the case of physical pain versus emotional pain mm -hmm. or emotional stress or emotional feelings in the form of fears and insecurities, self-doubt. Um, if you find a strategy that deals with that, you may think it is change and you may think you found a new tool to, to live your life by. Um, it will eventually though fail you. Mm. Because the tool can never be effective in every situation, every circumstance. And to keep on readapting the tool to, do, to deal with every new negative situation in your terms, um, you are constantly falling back in a negative experience, which you then have to readapt yourself to another behavior. And then that behavior is going to give you a positive result. The reasons for this, and, and I think I want to elaborate on that, <clears throat> lie in the way that we perceive life to begin with. So, because we grow up with parents who do not take responsibility for the life experiences that they create and for the fears that they walk around with, and instead either blame the world or blame you or blame circumstances, um, for the feelings and emotions that they experience and the insecurities they have, you learn from them that the world, others, circumstances, events, situations are responsible for how you feel. So then the immediate reaction to that is, is that you need to influence and control those circumstances, people, events, in order to be safe from the consequences that you perceive they will have on you emotionally. Mm -hmm. And so that's how strategies are born. Strategies are born out of trying to control the external environment with the total absence of realization that you're actually the creator of it in the first place. <laughs> that's the paradox, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, but yeah, if, if you're looking outward then, we, I think we had, a, we had an episode that we discussed that fairly on in the piece uh, in one of our episodes about... Um, living your life looking outwardly for all the answers uh, and the answer being actually within you. The, the reason for the events in your life lies with you and, and that's the only place you can start to seek answers. Without, without realising what you're saying, without realising what you're saying, you will always be chasing your tail, so mm. to speak. Mm. You're always, we will be experiencing negative events that create negative emotions, bad feelings, powerlessness and helplessness, or angry and resentment, and at the same time, you think then, I need a strategy, I need a different person in my life, I need uh, to find a different relationship, I need to change jobs, um, I need to change place to get away from what I'm feeling. Mm. And the person that is, um, the real problem is you. Mm. Mm. <clears throat> so we've, we've spoken before about awareness of issues being the first step in the process um so maybe you can just recount a little bit uh recap on what 
um, some sort of awareness of your issues or your self-awareness is, and then we'll talk about your definition of what change really is. Like we're st- I think we need to talk about awareness first, and then we need to probably talk about change and the difference between the two, perhaps. Well, often, often people believe that awareness, being aware of something, is like represents change, mm. and it obviously doesn't. Um, awareness is just what it is, being aware of something. I mean, being aware of the bullet coming your way <laughs> doesn't stop you from it hitting you. So being aware of something doesn't keep you safe from the effect that it has on your life. And it can be extremely frustrating and uh, hard on someone to be aware of something that they may realize uh, that they carry within themselves, which is responsible. Their fears and insecurities. Yeah, whatever it may be, a particular habit or a particular way of thinking, or they may realize they're really self-critical and they can't stop the process. So they have the awareness of... um, something inside of them that they feel is debilitating and negative, but yet feel powerless to change it. And that is enormously frustrating. Mm. And I can understand that. Um, I've, I've lived up with that myself for a while. And hence I'm doing what I'm doing now because obviously one needed the answers. And I think the answers are clearly uh, uh, available in the philosophy that I work with. Um, the point of it here is is that whilst you are aware of the things that you feel are debilitating for you, the problem is that you're not aware for the causes for it. And you may think that being critical of yourself is the cause, but there are reasons for your self-criticism and there are reasons for your self-judgment. You were not born as a self-critical person. You became critical through uh, exposure to the behavior and attitude of your parents uh, maybe between each other maybe with others and also with you and that must have been a critical process or um, and criticism is funny we should mention that it's one of those things where people look back in their life and they say my parents never criticized me and then my question comes did they have high expectations of you I said yeah Mm. I said well don't you think that an expectation can be a criticism? And so then sometimes the question is, why is that so? How is that possible? I said, well, the expectation that they have of you is this for form. And so they manifest or they create an expectation of you, which you are then responsible to meet, or so you feel. And when you then have the sense that you cannot meet that expectation for any number of reasons because it's not in your desire to do so, or you don't feel talented to do so, or you have no attraction for it, or there could be a whole number of reasons. Or the expectations are just way too high. They could be way too high as well. Yeah. Yeah. They may have an expectation that you're a sportsman, but your desire is to be maybe a librarian, or (laughs) maybe an artist, or maybe uh, you're more interested in engineering, or something of that nature, um, or to be an accountant. And you're not interested in sport. Sport doesn't interest you because you don't have that physical focus. Then you probably won't be good at sport. And even if you are, you won't like it because you're not attracted to it. Then you're a failure because your parents have expectations of you. That is the expectations then are a critical process because they criticize what you want versus what they want for you. And so... In that sense, you become critical of yourself for not being what you're supposed to be and doing what you're supposed to do. Mm. I mean, just recently with someone, and he's not the first person to come into my practice with this problem, who, um, through the expectations of his parents, perceived himself to have to be more than what he was. So he has to be more than what he is at any moment of time, which is impossible. (laughs) You can't be more than what you are. But if he's not, then he's not good enough. So he has a double criticism running in his mind that he can never be the person he's supposed to be because he's either not good enough or he should be more than what he is. So whilst there wasn't any direct criticism of him, the expectations that were placed of him um, by default criticized who he already was. And so... This creates a struggle within the individual. Mm. Now, for someone to change that, 
right, is not to just look at the self-critical process that you may be aware of and the feeling that you're never good enough and the feeling that you have to be a perfectionist in everything that you do in order to prove that you are good enough. Mm. Of course, we need to go to the core reasons for all of this, which lie in expectations that he accepted the responsibility for, which were never his in the first place, Mm. to be responsible for. Mm. They were his parents' expectations, not his. And he cannot be responsible for what others, even his parents, expect from him. So true change doesn't lie in strategically uh, saying to yourself, I'm not responsible for my parents' expectations, but you need to let go of the fear of not meeting that responsibility and not being what you're supposed to be for them. And the fear of being a failure, the fear of not being good enough, and the fear of never being able to be more than what you are. Mm. Because that sort of state of mind will make you critical of yourself even when you are successful and when you achieve your goals because it will never be good enough because it should be more than what it is. Yeah, regardless of what you where you are at, it's never going to be good enough because you, you still haven't met the expectation. that keeps, It's almost like it just keeps just out of reach. It just keeps It's always out of reach. And, and, and take into that as well the reality, which is that <clears throat> whenever you achieve something, right, and you look at it, you can always see what you could have done better. It is logical. It's, a, it's part of um, learning. It's a natural part of learning. And, but we can only do something better once we've done what we've done before. But we forget that. So we only see that we could have done better. And that becomes then, because we should be better than what we are, creates dissatisfaction with the achievement we've got to, the success we've created, mm. right? And so we always find something to criticize, no matter how good we are at what we're doing, and therefore always live with, with dissatisfaction and disappointment in ourselves. Mm. And this is this is then this requires deep change. So because you, sorry, if someone came up with that awareness that they were in, basically they might be listening to this podcast and they think that's me. I, I'm very self-critical, and those are the reasons why they've come to an awareness. What sort of strategic behaviours would they be putting in place to try and cope with this negative belief or this negative? Um, well, first of all, to be always meeting, trying to meet the expectations of others as perfectly as they can. So they're usually overachievers. They do more than what they have to. They work harder than what they should. They spend more time than what they need to. They're often not as effective as they think they are. They tend to double-check on everything they do for fear of of doing something wrong. So double-check, triple-check. They're never absolutely sure that the thing that they follow through on is the right thing to do. So they work with doubt. They work with insecurity. They work with constant self-criticism every step of the way. And, all, and, and whilst that gets, can get a positive result, it goes at great cost to the individual doing it. Mm. And so these are the natural strategies that we put in place in order to cope, if you like, with the feeling and the sense that we're not good enough and that we should be better than what we are and that we should be more perfect than what we are. Forgetting also that perfection lies in the mind of the beholder and essentially perfection is a dead end. <laughs> because if you did something absolutely perfectly, then there's nothing beyond that. Because mm. what is implied in perfection, that you can't create beyond perfection. Mm-hmm. If you created the perfect watch, for instance, the absolute perfect watch, there couldn't be a better watch ever made ever in the universe, then that would be the end of all watch creation. Yes. There'd be no creativity left for anybody else in creating watches. There'd be no improvement. Not possible, mm. because it's perfect. Do you understand? So God bless, if you like, that uh, perfection is not a reality and it's something we should aim for, but hope that we never reach. <laughs> because if we do, then all creativity will stop dead in its feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So, so when we go back to change, the essential aspect of change is transformation of the self. Change can only really occur when you change your inner identity. Your inner identity being who you believe yourself to be in respect to your issues. So if you believe you're never good enough, you should be perfect, I should be better than what I am, 
uh, I'm a failure, I'm inadequate, hopeless and useless, not smart enough, can clever enough because I am not what I'm supposed to be, I'm not what I'm expected to be. And, I sh and uh, uh, therefore, um, as a consequence, I am all the things that I fear being, which is a failure, useless, incompetent, etc. That is what you need to let go of. It's not letting go of the behavior, because the behavior is an outcome of the beliefs in the first place. It's not about letting go of the feelings or the thoughts or the perception, because they too are a consequence of your belief system. And so your negative belief system is what needs to go. Now, I do realize that's not easy because there are many complications in belief systems that you need to understand to release something like that. Um, properly, I think, uh, is the way to put it. But you can at least start by looking at yourself and maybe writing down these things and um, bringing them back into realization of your childhood. So remember, it's the first 10 years that count. Don't be distracted into thinking, oh, it was because when I was 21, I failed at this. Or when I was 18, uh, I got a really bad mark at school. Or um, I was criticized and judged for doing this and that and the other. Trust me that it lies in the first eight to 10 years of your life. And that's where you got to look for the reasons. And is it likely to be one event anyway? It can be, no, it's, it's usually not one event, mm. one event. And that, this is also very misleading because unfortunately, there's a lot of therapists out there who are looking for the one event that created this in your life. And that's generally not, not the case. It is a consistent attitude by your by the people that raised you that will uh, have created this concept in your mind. A child can cope with being criticized once if it is in an environment where it doesn't um, where it isn't subject to criticism. If somebody would criticize the child, it would not necessarily uh, immediately become self-critical. Um, if it has an expectation, that it cannot meet, it will not immediately think I'm hopeless and useless and I should be better than what I am or I'm a failure. It is the consistency of exposure. And you've got to understand that your parents come from an environment where they received their issues and problems from their parents. So, so blaming them doesn't really pay off. It doesn't help you and it doesn't serve them or the relationship between you and them. What is necessary for you to realize as an adult that you are the responsible party, that nobody else can be responsible for your life but you. You are the holder and keeper of your negative beliefs and you are the one that's hanging on to them. So you can't talk about change without talking about fear. And fear is kind of a, a, a deceptive little friend that, you, that sits always next to you, or is always next to you wherever you go. And it is the one that whispers in your ear, don't do that, or you gotta, you got to be tougher and harder, or if you're not aggressive, then you're going to lose. Uh, it, it tells you to um, listen to your fears and insecurities and to engage with strategic behaviors in order to avoid the things that you fear. Or, to, or to, to feel safe. Ultimately, that's the goal, yeah, right. to feel safe from your fears and insecurities. And so fear pushes you into believing that your fears will become reality if you don't do something. So you can either, in the general sense, you can do two things. You can either go into avoidance or you can go in aggressive strategic behavior. Avoidance is also a strategy. Mm. Avoidance is a strategy to sidestep confrontation of a negative kind. Strategy is to, or aggressive strategies are a means by which you can vanquish, if you like, the opposition in order for you to get what you want or have the reaction you want or to avoid the guilt you feel or the blame by making other people responsible perhaps or convincing them aggressively of something that you want them to believe in order to get what you want mm. or to, in order to feel that you're intelligent, wise and smart. You know, you might want to prove superiority or a higher status or uh, you just want to win and prove to the world that you're better than everybody else. All these things are usually 
for most people achieved by strategic behavior. Because understand that your desire to win, when it becomes that important, comes from the fear of being a loser. Your desire to be better than somebody else comes from the fear of being insignificant. Your desire to um, to um, um, to be right comes from the fear of being wrong and looking stupid and dumb and embarrassed and ashamed or the fear of being ridiculed. And so you, you cannot justify your strategic behavior by saying, but doesn't everybody want to win? Doesn't everybody want to be right? Doesn't everybody want to, you know, be seen to be special? Yes and no, of course, because, of course, uh, you will only be special if you feel special within yourself. Mm. But if you want to prove that you're special by intimidating other people or driving a big car or staying in a fancy hotel or telling everybody about your holidays in the Bahamas or that you lost the, a, a meal at the, at the casino in Las Vegas and you don't care, right? If you want to do that, that is ego. Mm. That is you trying to prove to the world, see me, I'm great, I'm fantastic, I don't care about money, I'm better than everybody else, I'm superior, right? I can afford a big car, I can afford to live in a big house, I can afford to live in a big house or stay in a big hotel. You know, this is, this, is, this is you trying to convince others in order to convince yourself. Mm. But would you, would you ever be convinced if you don't change? It will never be big enough. Mm. It will never be enough. you never win enough. The thing is, these people eventually risk losing everything. The people that are so hell-bent on winning to prove something, right, when they actually finish up losing, and in sport, this is inevitable, because you grow old and sooner or later <laughs> you won't be able to perform with the others who are trying to prove that they are the winners, mm -hmm. right? Because they will be fitter, smarter, and they probably have learned from you to, to be fitter and smarter, <laughs> right? Um, they will beat you. What? You're going to fall apart because you're no longer at the top of your game, to use those words. Mm. He's no longer at the top of his game because of his age or because he's lost it, Right? We love to say those things, right? Because, because they, they seem to imply that when you're a champion, you should be a champion forever. And being a champion is so important, particularly in a country like Australia, I have to say, because you're so sports-focused here. We love our sport, yeah. Yeah, but it's beyond loving your sport. <laughs> Fanatical. Yes. So we, we, you, you attach your ego to somebody else winning, mm. you true. know? If you support a team that is a winner, then you'll feel better about yourself because you're with the right team, mm, mm. right? Or the right person that you back or the right horse, for that matter. <laughs> um, it's, it's like whenever you derive emotional benefit in terms of status, worth, value, significance through something outside of yourself, it's obviously not within you. Mm. And you're only proving to those who can see it, that you have lots of fears and insecurities. You may not believe that, that others can see it, but they do mm. if they're aware. And so it's better that you become aware of yourself and start to realize and look within yourself what it is that causes you to feel that way. And then we're back at change. Mm. So how do we change? So what or, is change what really? Is change? Yeah. 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 So throughout this whole talk so far, I have repeated time and time again that strategic behavior is not change. Mm. is at best a crutch, a crutch to get you through a situation. But if you're aware that you engaged in strategic behavior, then you can at least start looking within yourself. You can start asking questions and say, why do I feel this way? Why do I see it that way? What is my... Um, why is my behavior that way? Why do I act the way I do in those situations? And then travel backwards in time, if you like, to see what the origin for it would be. Because it's the only way you're going to come to a real solution. And in the beginning, that may seem hard, and you may not get the answers immediately. But if you keep the question that you're asking open, 
there's an interesting thing universally, and it has to do with, with the way questions impact universal energy. The universe cannot stand the vacuum of a question. <laughs> a question is something that needs to, fill, to be filled, and it has to do with your consciousness. And so when you ask a question, it's like a vacuum that has a certain shape, if you like, that needs to be filled by an answer in order to stop being a vacuum. Because the universe needs balance. And balance only comes from filling up gaps that appear. And so by asking the question and keeping the question in place and adding more elements to your question, you will eventually come to an answer because that's how it works. I've had, honestly, have had questions that, that, that um, I needed to answer to be able to understand the philosophy that sits behind core belief therapy that have stood there for three years, three years plus. And in the three years plus, um, I kept on asking the same question and it would come up again and again and again in different ways. Eventually, I had a eureka moment and I think it was in a... February something the 8th the beginning of February 9th, uh, 2000 and, and um, um, now in sorry in February 1994 that I had that eureka moment that all of a sudden the answer just came to me and it was a relatively simple answer but it's often that's the problem the the, the answers actually to everything is are quite obvious once you get them <laughs> um, but when when you don't when you cannot see them and you cannot realize what the answer could be it feels so obscure it's a bit like the air you breathe you know you don't realize that it's air until somebody asks you how come where you get the oxygen from you know you think oxygen air what am I breathing you know why do I need to breathe what is air you know, you never ask the question. And there are things in life which are so obvious, which are so clear, that we don't realize them. And one of them is, and this is one of the ways you can test yourself. You can test whether something is an issue or not. And that ties in, of course, with change. That is whether what you believe is, has its core foundation in unconditional love, acceptance, and trust, or not. And if it is not unconditionally trusting or trustworthy, or it is a state of unconditional acceptance, and there are conditions involved, right? As soon as conditions are involved in, a, in an emotional process, like how you express yourself, or how you present yourself to others, or how you make your decisions and choices and how you relate to someone. As soon as there are conditions involved, there's fear. Because the fear is representative of the, of the fact that if there is a condition, that there is a fear of not meeting that condition, not being able to meet that condition. If you say, for instance, if the condition is meeting an expectation, going back to our earlier example, then the fear is, is not meeting that expectation because you feel for, what, for the way you look within yourself that you cannot be what the other person expects you to be. And so there is a condition here that you have to meet and try and meet to become worthy of the acceptance of that person because you have to meet that condition to be acceptable. And there is then a fear in you as a child that if you cannot meet that condition that not, you do not just meet or not meet that condition, but you become the unacceptable one because you can't meet that condition. A child internalizes a situation as if it is totally about the child. So if a child is, if you say that is bad, a child will say, I am bad. If, if a child is criticized and judged, it says, I am not good enough. I am a failure. If a, if a child does something wrong and you look at what you have done, look at what you, you, have, you, have, you, you have upset me, you've made me angry, 
then the child takes full responsibility for that and feels that it is what you are blaming it for. It is not just about the thing, it's what the child is. So if you constantly criticize a child, then it becomes the inadequate one, the hopeless one, the useless one, the stupid one, the dumb one, the embarrassment. And that becomes the child that's inside of you as an adult, which actually runs your life. It actually runs your whole life. It, it determines your perception. It determines what you think. It determines what you feel. And it determines what strategic behaviors you will put in place in order to deal with that. And then as a result, then it determines the way that you interact with other people, other in, the people world. in the world. Right? And then the events that you create in your life and experience. Mm. Because that becomes the lens through which you see not just yourself, but also the world. And then the experiences that you create will be seen through that lens. And so there will be, if you act out of fear, then you will create experiences which will reaffirm those fears and then you will have a terrible time. But what you will automatically do, and this is where we go back to change the strategic behavior, you will automatically then blame the circumstances or the people involved for doing that to you for making you feel that way, for making you think that way, for making you act that way. And you don't take responsibility because you are not aware of your own issues and problems because you're sitting at the surface of yourself. In other words, you feel your feelings, you have your perception, and you think your thoughts, right? And you do your action, and you don't look at anything that drives that. You don't ask why. You don't ask why. Why am I doing this? Why am I thinking this? Why am I acting like this? Why do I feel that way? Why is my perception that way? You, you cannot imagine that you can have a different perception. You cannot imagine that your thoughts could be different because they're the only thoughts you can remember ever having. You always feel that way, so you think. And you think then, that is normal. And then you might even do... Doesn't everybody think that way? Doesn't every... No, they don't. <laughs> they actually don't. Is and it... even if they do, they do so for different reasons. Mm. Is it likely, though, that you would uh, come into contact and attract people into your life that share some of those similar beliefs, though? Well, well you create with your belief systems, and they're complex and many, right? Um, you have, of course, a complexity of positive beliefs and negative beliefs, Right. This, this little mismatch of beliefs has a certain harmonic, if you like, a certain vibration, energetically. And you'll be attracted to people who display a similar vibration. And not inadvertently, but quite deliberately, you will be attracted to people that share your worldview. So, a good example of this is probably, if you're a sports-focused person, and you derive your self-esteem and your excitement and enthusiasm out of sport, you're not going to be attracted to having artist friends and librarians, okay? You'll be attracted to have friends who share that enthusiasm, if you like, right? If you have a big ego and you're into uh, making money, <clears throat> all your friends will be into it as well because they're the friends you want because you're networking, right? <laughs> well, you can't network with a sports guy who's only interested in sport because he's not interested in making money. Mm. So you can't network with him. Yeah, that's right. Right? <clears throat> so everybody seeks out their own group, their own... It's a bit like a... I often look at um, Persian carpets and I see the intricate patterns and I think that is the world because every pattern is like a different mentality. And whilst it's all interwoven in one carpet, they're all separate designs and separate colors and separate, you know. And so we have a whole humanity. Like, we, we think Australians are just Australians, but when you break it down, they're, as an as a, as a individual, you only are in contact with a very small percentage of Australians who share your worldview. Mm. And, and that's how you would then assume that everyone thinks like you because the people that you're in contact with, everybody you know thinks like that. And that then justifies your worldview and mm. your fears and insecurities. Mm. And when they deal with life in a strategic way, 
then that justifies that as a solution to your problems because they'll give you that advice. Do you understand? They will tell you, <clears throat> excuse me, they will tell you that you know what you have to do to be successful? Blah, 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 blah. You know what you have to do to do this and that? Da, da. You know how you have to do to deal with your wife when she's like this? I tell you what I do. Da, 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 da. So it's all strategic. Mm -hmm. It's all what people know. And they think that what they know can be universally applied because it is their truth and they think it's the whole truth but nothing but the truth in the universe. And that's how strategies get promoted. Like to the point where medical professionals, therapists, like one of the most popular, um, most of, because everybody suffers, or a lot of people suffer from this, not everybody, but a lot of people do, to one degree or another, is anxiety, stress, and panic. Mm -hmm. So panic is the worst case, right? Total panic. Having a panic anxiety yep. is the secondary level, and then below that lies stress, and then you get fear and insecurity, all right? Um, so to one degree, everybody suffers from these things. Um once you have fears, on, in somewhere along the way, you have fears or insecurities, and it may escalate depending on your level of powerlessness and helplessness in the world to whatever level your fear and insecurity will actually travel up to the ladder and become panic, right? Um, and so we have all these strategies to deal with this, and they're promoted widely mm -hmm. by psychologists, by psychiatrists, by medical professionals, by a lot of people who deal with people. And even we were, we were talking about alternative therapies are mostly geared around that as well. Unfortunately, yeah, that is true. Mm -hmm. That is true. And, and you know, I'm going to sound harsh when I say this, but the only reason that someone would promote a strategy is because it's all they know. Mm -hmm. And if that's all they know, then you've got to ask the question, have they dealt with their own stuff? Or are they living a strategic life? if you like, by living a life of strategy in order to um, um, in order to overcome their issues and then don't know how to uh, um, how to really help people to change. So you're saying that um, a lot of people who are trying to help other people are doing it by sharing their coping strategies. Yeah, hmm. and by coping strategies that I've got off the net. Or read in a book. Yeah. Right? Like one of those things is meditation. Right? Now meditation is, is promoted by, um, by a lot of people as being a panacea for your issues and problems. That eventually over time you will change. Well, my idea is, is that you meditating and a Buddhist monk meditating is like being in two entirely different universes. Because the Buddhist monk would have entered the monastery at the age of six and a half, seven, eight years old, maybe even younger. He would have been raised in this environment. He would, he would, he would, he would have been exposed to the philosophies and ideas of, let's say, highly aware people who have a very strong philosophy around spirituality and life. Um, when they meditate after years and years of practice, because that's what their life is all about, their experience of that and where they get to cannot be what you and I can get to when we start meditating at the age of, <laughs> right? And we go back to work and we're exposed to the, the world the way it is and to our friends living out our issues and problems and fears and insecurities in, uh, in the in the normal work environment, relationship, life that we have, and then go and meditate and then think that we're going to solve our problems that way, it's not going to happen. Mm. I mean, what, what it does do for people is, is give them that place where they can, they can avoid their stress for a period of time, but it doesn't, it doesn't create change. No, what it can create is a level of inner peace, mm -hmm. which will probably not last yes. until the next event in your life. Do you understand? It will, it will defuse probably what you build up in a day. Mm -hmm. It will be de decompressed, as they call that. Yeah? 
Um, and, and look, I'm all for it. Don't think I'm, I'm, I'm critical of meditation. I'm not. It, I practice it myself. So I don't see it as being a, a, a negative thing at all. It's a very good thing to do. And I, I recommend my clients after they do a session to do that because it can be a very positive experience. It can be uh, very helpful in change, right? But to take it as a tool to change, I think you would probably have to meditate some, somewhere between three to six hours every day for the rest of your life. And then you may not even come through your issues mm. because you don't even know what you, what your, um, how can I say it? You wouldn't be aware of what you need to change or what you're meditating on, so to speak, to release it. Um, just going into the void constantly, if you like, if you can get there, right? Um, it's not making things disappear when you come back to reality. Mm. It just doesn't. And, and that is not... You know, that is not bad news, but it's just you need to alter your perception if you want to deal with your your life issues, so to speak, right? I think, I think as you expressed to me, your, your concern with it was that people thought that that was all there was, that you could yeah. get to a point where you could cope with your... Yeah, and then people yeah. stop and having to... Stop asking Stop questions. asking questions, yeah. Mm. Because uh, what should be promoted, that at least what should be promoted is... One simple thing to begin with, which is you are the creator of your own reality. Nobody's doing anything to you. The world is not doing anything to you. Others are not doing it to you. What you feel as a negative experience, the anger, resentment, or powerlessness or helplessness, or fear, anxiety, stress that you feel is created within do you by you, by the things that you believe in by your fears and insecurities. So you are very much the creator of your own emotions. Nobody creates emotions in you. It's not possible. Mm. Try it. <laughs> Try to create an emotion in somebody that wasn't pre-existing to begin with. The cause for that emotions has to be pre-existing in someone for you to be able to create that emotion. And if it isn't there, you, no matter what you do, it won't happen. Mm. You don't have that control. Yeah, it's, it's only, ironic that people don't think they've got the control over other people, but they feel that other people have the control over them. Is it? No, no, no. Actually, that's not true. People think also that they can make other people be upset, mm, okay. right? Yeah, and at the same time believe that people upset them. So it's kind of the true sense of totally being powerless in the world because others do it to me and I do it to other people. So people are basically helpless in their, in their sense of being because um, I can make them feel stuff and they can make me feel stuff. So we're each dependent on each other to be nice to each other, to please each other in order to be okay, mm. right? And so you get actually pleasers to join up with pleasers. Not always. You often get pleasers also to attract people who want to be pleased, but they're usually non-confrontational individuals because pleasers don't like aggressive, demanding people because they feel controlled by them. Mm. But they actually often marry controlling people because controlling people need someone to control and pleasers are the ideal <laughs> personalities to be in control of because mm. all they want to do is please and they don't ask for anything, don't need anything and they often feel they're an imposition on others. So they're the perfect companion for somebody who's a control freak. Um, so coming back to change, the inner realization has to be that you're the creator, that you're the creator of your own reality, that you're the keeper of the beliefs that support your negative perspective, your emotions, your feelings, your perception and your behavior and that you need to find out how it is a part of you, why it is a part of you, and why you're hanging on to it. Because you're hanging on to your belief systems. Nobody is making you believe anything. By the time that you're 10 years old, you become the keeper of your negative beliefs. And from there on in, you gradually become more and more the creator of your life. When you reach teenagehood and you begin to realize that you can have power and that you can have control because you're getting bigger physically 
and you begin to talk and you begin to state your point of view, people who have been emotionally suppressed um, can often then become totally opposite because they believed at that age that by acting opposite and being opposite and re and being diametric diametrically opposed to the parents who have always been the controlling factor in their life, that they are free to do what who they want to be and, and um, that they can do then what they want to do, which they previously were not allowed to. And so we get this so-called rebelli rebellious teenagehood, which we've come to accept as some sort of logical consequence of childhood because we don't understand why kids are like that in the first place. And then we accept it as normal. And of course, the child that was rebellious eventually realized that rebellion creates exactly the same problems with other people as it did in their childhood without realizing that it was in their childhood. So all they see is people not liking them, people being aggressive them with them, being re people being re rejective of them, not tolerating them. And then, of course, they blame them for holding them back, for, for, for restricting them, for confining them, for limiting them, right? And they justify their aggression or their uh, obstinance and stubbornness on the world. Sooner or later, however, that will run out of steam and they will actually go back to do how they behaved and were in childhood, mm. funny enough. Um, sooner or later, that behavior crumbles and stumbles and falls apart. Mm. And um, It seems to me there's a huge amount of energy that, that someone has to expend to be able to overcome even if they have an awareness of their fears and insecurities, but to put these strategies in place and be forever trying to cope with things and forever trying to put their energy into just getting through the day with this voice in their ear or this, this little person on their shoulder, it seems like a huge amount of energy put into it. It is. This. Yeah. If, if you, I've, I've worked with people, and I'm saying that this happens every time. Occasionally I work for someone who, in the absence of their fear, when, when I've been able to hit one of their biggest fears and help them release it, um, they feel like an emptiness. It's like there's a void. It's like all of a sudden the things they used to worry about and be concerned about and had an issue with disappear and there is this space in their mind where they have to fill it up with new thoughts and new ideas and new realizations and new thought processes because they've never realized how busy their mind was with their fear. And you can imagine that if your mind is so busy with fear and insecurity and trying to be safe and secure or being, being superior or whatever it may be for you, that how much of your creative life force is lost, mm. how much you could have done, how much you could have achieved in the absence of your fear. Fear can never be seen and never be held as a positive quality, no matter what anybody will tell you, no matter what they say. It is never a good thing. It either comes to cost, at the cost of your performance, at the cost of the outcome, and even if it creates a seemingly positive outcome, it will come at the cost of you. Mm. And it's a price too high to pay. So fear is can never be seen to be a positive aspect of your mind. Mm. It's never a good thing. Realize that we are very familiar with, and I've mentioned it in one of the podcasts, I think, we're very familiar with the concept of um, physical survival because it's talked about all the time in various ways. But the reality is, is that our emotional survival the emotional survival of our consciousness and our mind is a far greater meaning to us than physical survival. Mm -hmm. That's why people can sacrifice themselves. That's why people can give their life for something is because their emotional realization of what is important is greater than the physical survival. Mm. And so, and so understand that your emotional survival should be of greatest importance to you. And fear is a negative for that. Fear is totally opposite for that. 
So living a life without fear, if you can imagine you living your life without completely without fear, and then everybody around you living without fear, what a different world we would have. What a different world we would live in. That means all the processes, all the systems and all the um, laws and judicial systems and economic systems and the creation of weapons and armies all based on fear, right? There wouldn't be no need for them to exist because we'd have no use for them hmm. in so, the absence of fear. So, so self, self-change in, in the, the sense that we're talking about today, real self-change would change the world. Ultimately. Mm. It starts with you, however. Mm-hmm. It starts with the individual. Don't worry about starting to change others until you've changed yourself. Mm. You know, your main concern should be with you. Your main concern which should be with changing uh, yourself in respect to your fears and insecurities. All you've got to do is let go of them. You don't have to know. Uh, this is an interesting thing. Do we have time? Oh, yeah, we've got about 10 minutes. Okay. This is very important, and I'm surprised I haven't addressed this, right? Because it's it's super important. When we change, and when we talk about change, we often wonder what change should be about. Now, to a person who wants to change their behavior to get a different outcome, right, they are concerned about the consequence of an action. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So they want to change the consequence. Instead of failing, they want to succeed. Instead of doing something wrong, they want to do it right. Instead of upsetting someone, they want to make somebody love them and like them. Okay? So this is so strategies are based on the consequence of change, right? Real change is to do with you becoming ultimately who you were truly meant to be. Now, the immediate response that most people have is, what if I don't like who I am? <laughs> or, I don't know who that is. Or, who do I have to be then? Right? Or what do I have to do? What do I have to do to be that person? Mm. Sometimes. So... The focus, the focus still needs to be on the change that comes from releasing your fears. Because your fears represent a perspective that you have on yourself, a belief as to who you are, which is not representative of your authentic self. Now, whilst you're in fear, you will be suppressing the authentic self because there is an assumption that was made early in life that who you really were your authentic self was not acceptable to your parents because they behaved towards you with fear through their fear-based behavior which comes out as criticism judgment high expectations um, any number of things are you saying as a child you you come in and you ex- into the world and you expect your innate self to be completely acceptable and lovable. And then when you don't get unconditional love and acceptance... Then you feel that you're not. And that means the authentic self that you have, that you come into the world with, is deemed to be unacceptable. So you suppress that. Well, you suppress it because your parents don't want it. So you, you don't want to be that person because it will cause rejection mm. in your own awareness. But by your own awareness, you think... If I'm my authentic self, my parents will be negative towards me. Mm. They'll be irritated by me, annoyed by me, um, judge me, criticize me, withdraw their love from me, um, not be present for me, have no interest in me, okay? So instead, I have to be what my parents want me to be. So I I have to meet the conditions they set that I have to meet in order to be acceptable to them. And again, I said earlier on, meeting those conditions becomes a fearful process because what if you don't? What if you get it wrong? <laughs> what if you're not what you're supposed to be? Yeah? Then you attract criticism, judgment, rejection, being abandoned, deserted, because that's how it feels to a child. So now you've suppressed your authentic self and you're so busy in your mind dealing with your new fears and insecurities 
right? Because the feeling that you have becomes a feeling of fear. It's your introduction into fear, if you like. <laughs> that you're so busy with your strategies to make sure that mom and dad love you and that mom and dad don't criticize and judge you, right? Um, or you may actually, you may have a mother and father that can't be bothered by you for whatever reasons and you uh, try to get attention by behaving out of, um, out of context, if you like, by being an attention seeker, by um, being naughty, as they say, um, by behaving in ways that attract attention in order to get attention, either way, you will have an experience which is negative. Mm -hmm. So when we're back to wanting to change as an adult, all we can see is our feelings, emotions, and behavior. We need to recognize our fears without knowing, without being aware who and what our authentic self is really like. One thing you can trust, that something that is born out of unconditional love, acceptance and trust will always be positive, will always be significant and special, will always be a good thing, if you like. So you don't have to worry about the nature of your authentic self, what you might be curious about, what it's capable of, yeah. what talents and abilities it came into the world with, mm. what unique qualities does it have. But these are for you to discover once you get rid of your fears. And you can only discover that once you have let go of the fears you've been hanging on to for so long in order to survive in terms of your emotional self, your emotional survival process, if you like. I think what you're talking about here is that a lot of people have a fear of change itself because they're not quite sure who they would be without their fears and insecurities. Yeah. Well, they've so strongly identified with their fears and insecurities that they think it is their personality. Mm. And so when people talk about personality, I assume that's what that is. <laughs> so who they believe they are becomes their personality. And if somebody was to do a test on them and ask them a whole bunch of very clever questions, right, they can only show who they believe themselves to be mm -hmm. and not who they really are. Mm -hmm. The trouble with that then is, is that the questioner will miss out on what their real potential would be of this individual because they assume that the answers to the question defines the individual. And to some extent, they're right, because that individual can only answer the questions in terms of who they know themselves to be. And unfortunately, that includes their fears and insecurities. I think that, to me, that's because there's, there's this underlying understanding, if you like, in society that change in the way that you're talking about is not possible. Because... It has not been experienced. Mm. None of my clients would agree with you. I'm one of them, and I, I, I'm, I agree. I, I think until you've experienced real change, it's very hard to understand what it is in, with the conditioning we've had from society and the way that things are, systems are put together. They're not geared towards real change. The, the absence of that awareness and the... Um, belief that seems to exist that people cannot change unfortunately it keeps on reinforcing that but it needs to be a voice and not just my voice but a voice by everybody who's really involved in changing people to um to make people realize that change is a real and um attainable process that they can transform themselves with. If people only realized how, what an enormous impact it has, not just on them, but how it impacts all their relationships. A mother who, who has issues and problems doesn't realize how much of a negative effect she has on her children, and so does the father. And if they were to change, how much of a positive effect that would have on their children. How well, you've personally experienced that, of from course. what I can tell. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. That, 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 so, so just by you changing, your children changed. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And because you were not aware at the time what it was that influenced them. Well, I, I realized afterwards that they were just reacting to me, and when I when I changed myself, they reacted to my, let's say my closer to my authentic self 
they were able to react to that. And that was far closer to unconditional love, acceptance and trust. But it makes them, gives them the freedom to be authentically themselves That's with you. Correct, yes. This is the secondary effect. Mm. And if people only realize that, that as each person changes, they positively affect everyone around them. Mm. If it is not only for the fact that that person that is your friend will all of a sudden realize, my God, you changed and I can change. Yeah. Just because that's, what have, that's how my clients come to me. My clients are all friends of friends. Mm. They're all people that know people. I don't advertise, I don't promote myself. The, the change, real change, talks for itself. I don't have to promote the process in that way. But I do have to promote the idea and the concept. Mm. And so for anybody who listens to this and believes the possibility of this, it's for you to personally pursue this. It's mm. for you to personally go after change for yourself and realize it for yourself. Um, the material that I've got out there so far is all there to help you to... Um, to start thinking about change, about real change. Mm. Well, I'm going to mention your book again, The Truth of Love and Fear, because today's today's podcast episode, I think it's been fairly deep. And I think people are going to, some people are going to have their heads spinning after thinking about all these different opportunities and concepts and how change actually works and how we interact with our parents. But it's actually well explained in your book. So I think that's definitely a place to start for people. It's, it's a... It's a bit of a roadmap, I think, to this change. Well, it is. The, I wrote the book as a core philosophy about core belief therapy, right? The, the, I mean, core belief therapy is a name that 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 is backed up by this by this philosophy. Now, I wrote the book to bring this concept to people, and at the same time try and put as much information as I could muster in the shortest amount or the, the most contracted amount of space that I could manage. And when you read this book, read it more than once. Don't expect to understand all of it in the one go. It is such a different perspective on beingness and life and on you that it will challenge your mind. It will challenge your intellect. It will challenge your capacity to absorb, but the more you read it, the more sense it will make, because you will recognize yourself in what you read, and you will recognize your relationships with others in what you read. Mm. Uh, and as you do, it will verify something deeper knowing inside of you, some deeper awareness of what is true and what is not. Mm. That's the best thing I can say about it. Mm. All right. Well, we might leave it there today because we have... Uh we have covered so much in such a short space of time. So thank you very much again, Rudy, for your, uh, for your philosophy and for your words today. Absolutely. My pleasure. I look forward to the next thing we talk about. All right. Thank you very much, everybody. Bye.